Dobrý večer, já se jmenuji Tomáš Esler a vítám vás u další debaty Melting Potu, která bude tento dnesní večer pro živé debaty Melting Potu, která bude dnešní večer prožívat, probíhat v angličtině, takže já přejdu do angličtiny. Good evening everyone to this uh, another live uh, online uh, Melting Pot debate. Um, today we'll be talking about, uh, mostly about environment and uh, it's my pleasure to greet and to welcome uh, Uh, a journalist uh, Ole Matismonen, Matismonen Moen, uh, to our debate. Good evening, Ole, and thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Thomas. So nice to be here. Before we go any further, I would like to tell you that this debate uh, is organized uh, in cooperation with the Embassy of the Kingdom of Norway in Prague and with a cooperation of, of, of also of European Economic Area and Norway funds. It's no wonder that uh, Norway funds and uh, European Economic Area uh, grants are uh, helping to organize this debate because uh, they are quite known for uh, and very active and uh, they are financing a lot of environmental biodiversity or climate related programs. So again, thank you very much uh, everybody. And uh, also we start this debate a little bit untraditionally with a question to our viewers. It's a competitive question and uh, it, the question you can respond in the comments uh, which you can uh, respond in, in real life on, on Facebook and the question is what is the name of the treaty from 2015 which says uh, that all countries must limit greenhouse emissions again the question is what is the name of the international environmental environmental treaty from 2015 which says that all the countries around the world must limit greenhouse emissions. And now we go to our debate. Thank you for your patience, Ole. Ole, uh, you've been a lifelong journalist, a uh, long life journalist, and um, uh, you've been working most of your time, what I've, what I've, what I've learned, with uh, the most prestigious uh, Norwegian daily, Aftenposten. Tell us a little bit about your career. Tell us about how you got to journalism and tell us a little bit more about yourself. What kind of journalism? What, what, what did you do? How did you evolve as a journalist? Yeah, actually, I've, I've been in Aftenposten since I was quite young. I was, I think, 23 or 24 when I started there uh, and uh, started to write about politics in Oslo, actually, Oslo town politics. But from, uh, I think it was 1987 or 88, I went into the editor and I said, this paper is not good enough on the questions of nature and environment. So I asked him, could I please start with that? And he said, yes, but you have to wait two weeks because I have to find something, somebody to do your job first. So he was very interested. And since then, actually, I've been writing about climate and, and nature. And, um, and uh, I've been doing other things in between. I've been a correspondent in Brussels. I've been the head of the political division in the paper and so on, but now on full time, I'm writing about climate and, and nature problems. What prompted you? What what brought you to to become a as I if I can say environmental journalist? I, I think first of all, it's a lot of news there. <laughs> it's a lot of features you can write. You can travel all around the world as I've done. I've been nearly everywhere and writing about everything from melting ice to animals who are threatened of extinction in the jungle or in the rainforest and so on. But first of all, I think for me personally, it was a deep love for nature. And, and that has been a, a basement for, for, for my whole activity all these years that 
I, since I was a kid, I've been, my parents took me out in the woods and in the mountains. Uh, I've always been interested in birds, uh, even in flowers and, and everything, insects, and tried to learn the names from I was, since I was a little boy. And that made a love for nature, and that has been the driving force for me, actually. Um, tell me how you've been doing it so many years. You mentioned 1987, which is over 30 years in, of, in, of environmental journalism. <laughs> how would you define or how would you describe how did the attitudes of people around the globe? You, you said you travel around the world, and I'm sure you read publications around the world. How did the attitudes towards environment and the issues or problems connected with it have changed over the years? It has changed actually very dramatic. I mean, since the 70s, at least in Norway and, and mostly of Europe and US, you had, it has been up and ups and downs all the time. Uh, very interest around uh, the World Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, where the climate treaty was first signed. And then it was down for some years and it went up again and like that. But what has happened now, I think, is that let's say the last 10, 15 years, it's up all the time, more or less. It's on the top all the time. So both the interest for climate and nature is much bigger now. I mean, when I, when I spoke with, with um, uh, industrial leaders 20, 25 years ago, they say, okay, we will do something. Okay, we will cut pollution because we have to, and so on. But when you speak to them today, they are actually driving forces. They are often in front of the politicians. And I think that's very interesting. And that is, of course, partly because they, you have got a new generation of industrial leaders, but also that they know, know what will come. They know what demands their customers will have in the future when people who are 20 today in the 20s or even in the 30s, when they get, they, they are the people who are buying things and they don't, want to buy things from companies who are dirty anymore. I mean, it is, it is, you know, because yes, I worried that you kind of partially answered my following question. Okay. Is that because these guys are still, you know, this environment, I mean, these, these business people, they are still, you know, their main purpose of living is making money. Yeah. So what changed their attitude? They are definitely not environmentalists. So it is the, 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 the push of the market or what is it? Yeah. They, they know that they can't get the money. Uh, in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, if they don't do things the right way. Uh, the new generation, young people, not all of them, of course, but very many, very many, much more people than before. They want to buy things from a company who is, who is um, sustainable, does things the right way, who don't cut down the rainforest, who don't pollute more than necessary, so to say. And, and th they have to meet that demand to survive as a company, actually. And that's very interesting. For instance, you see the Swedish company, Ikea, uh, who has changed totally. They have taken out thousands of products who are not sustainable and, and are, are changing the whole attitude of the company and what they are selling and how they are selling it and so on. You mentioned that's that, you know, example. yes. Uh, you mentioned that it was up and down, up and down, but it last 10, 15 years is going continuously up that interest and, and in, 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 in environment and in, tell me um, what, what is causing that trend? What caused the change? Why do you think this, this became such an issue in that 10, last 10, 15 years? 
I think it's 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 a it's a lot of uh, reasons, of course. But I think the main reason is that, for instance, climate change. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, climate change was some theoretical uh, things who would happen sometime in the future. But now you can see on the television, you can see films, you can read books, you can in the papers, or you can go out and see it yourself. The climate change already is here. It's already happening, and and. Uh, the scientists got right. I mean, uh, when the IPCC, the, the UN climate uh, panel, put forward its first report in, I think it was in 1990, they said that it, it was, okay, 50-50 chance that humans have something to do with the global warming. Today they say it's 95% sure that the warming is our, is, it's, it's, we, have, we have the responsibility, we, we are making it. So I think you can go out and see, you can see a film, you see the sea ice in the Arctic, whom I've been writing about the whole day today actually, is disappearing. You see the glaciers are disappearing. You see the rainforest is cut down. It's not just something happening somewhere, but you see it directly on television or on YouTube or wherever. So I think it's come much close on people. You, you, you can see it, it's, it's, no, uh, <laughs> it's no theoretical future. You know, it's a perfect setup for the follow-up questions. Um, and how did you do reporting? You know, you started to report on it, you know, again, I say, I, I don't want to uh, hit on your age, but you, you started this 33 <laughs> years ago, 33 years ago. How did the reporting on it change? It must be much easier today to report on that because of all the technologies, you know, how did the reporting on environmental issues change? As a, I'm writing in the same way, actually, but of course, it's it's easier to send it home. I can sit in the middle of the rainforest and send the send the story home. Uh, earlier, I had to use a telefax to get it home. I suppose it wasn't that you were thinking about. But for me, working in Aftenposten, I've always had editors who have said, "Just do it. Just write what you see, what the scientists uh, say, and report it." It has never been any difficult for me to get it on print uh, or at the net now. So. But the interest is, is extreme. So, uh, of course, it differs from article to article. I can write one article who's not so interesting and I see it on the net, how many reads it, where they stop reading. <laughs> and, and I can have articles who are the most read articles that week. And people are interested in, in news. They want to follow this. They want to know what's happening. And of course, they want to know about the solutions. That's also extremely important. Otherwise, you just make apathy and 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 people close their eyes again. You mentioned at the beginning that you have uh, you had very very close uh, kind of a relationship to nature. You know, from the from your age, um, how did this work so closely? You know, in environmental journalism, you know, how did it change you? I mean, what did you learn over those years? How what what how did it change uh, Ole Matismoen? Hmm. I've, that's very difficult to answer. <laughs> the love has increased, but I'm also much more worried. I mean, I, I read all these scientific reports. I see what is happening. I see what will happen. But still, I'm trying to not to don't not be a worried person, uh, because I think <laughs> that won't be good for my journalism. So I'm 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 definitely trying to treat this item and all these different um, types of articles I'm writing, everything from politics 
uh, and, and international politics to, to stories out from out there. Uh, as as neutral as as um, as journalistic I can of course, um, but the most I feel that I've used all these years on something is something is very important. Uh, I feel it's so many journalists writing about finance, so many journalists writing about wars. Uh, I'm writing about environment, and I feel that's important. I believe so. I mean, environment is one of the, the I mean, it's a, it's a question of survival, I think, for, for, the, yeah. for the humanity in general. Yeah. Um, can you tell us, you know, I will, I will give you perhaps maybe another difficult question. What, you know, if, if in your years of traveling and in your years of covering the environment, is there a story that strikes, that, that's, that stuck most to your, to your mind, you know, like, or mm -hmm. a couple of stories, if you can share with us, you know, what, 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 what are the stories which are really, stuck in your memory or uh, and why haha <laughs> that's that's difficult but uh, to choose but i can take two different uh, i think the first time i went to amazonas amazonas and wrote about and i think that was in early in the 90s and wrote about how the rainforest is destructed and cut down i think that was one of the toughest things because i saw these fantastic uh, forest with so extreme biological diversity was just cut down and I, I uh, and some years ago I, I went back to that was in Ecuador in Yasuni National Park and Ecuador is a poor country and uh, they had to allow Chinese oil companies to go into that national park to try to find oil because the depth for the country was so high that was that was very tough, very hard to see. Uh, even if they are doing it very carefully, they still go in and actually destroy it. And I think the other other thing it was for me personally very special was um, first time I went to Antarctica and to land on a plane on the ice uh, and see that massive ice iceberg and think about that if all this melted. The sea level would rise with 75 meters. That is that that will never happen actually in our lifetime or in many 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 thousand years. But still, I got this feeling of how small we are, mm. how small humans are, and how dependent we are on a nature that's functioning. Uh, I mean, Antarctica is melting some places, and it will lead to higher sea level, but definitely not all of it. And um, but still, that feeling of of being uh, so little. And another great thing I have to say, uh, to say the political part, was that night in December 2015 in Paris. Then I had been following uh, climate negotiations since 1990, actually, in Geneva the first time. Uh, and that night when, uh, when the French foreign minister said, we have a deal and smelled the thing in the table and and the world was had agreed uh, to some sort of a climate um, agreement it was called the paris agreement or the paris accord uh, and and the world is um, agreed to stop uh, the warming on two degrees or maybe at 1.5 i don't think they will manage that because the cuts are too small but still it was an agreement 
for the first time that all countries should do something and every country should decide themselves what to do. First step. Thank you very much. Let's move to hopefully easier questions now. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, from what your experiences are, you know, um, and how this whole situation, you know, uh, your reporting also evolved and how do you see as, as uh, the biggest challenges or the biggest issues uh, the global environment is facing today? It's two. It's a climate crisis, definitely. That's extremely important. Uh, the global warming is, is changing nature so dramatically and it will have a have severe implication for us, but it will also have severe implications for the nature, of course. And the second one is that, that's a nature crisis. How we build down nature all over the world, also in Norway and all over Europe and in Africa and in Asia and everywhere. We have always thought about nature as a resource who is endless, but it's not. Uh, and it's, it's shrimping so much, many places, that we are losing hundreds, thousands of, of species all the time. And people say, yes, but we still have a small population of that and small population of that. But the fact is that many of those populations are so, so small that they can't survive into the future, actually. They are too small. And it's, yeah. You know, I'm not an environmental journalist, but I'm a journalist and I, 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 I follow this. And I, I was shocked, you know, in recent years, you know, because you have, you know, you have this kind of several endangered species, you know, for, for a long time. Mm. But all of a sudden they are talking about vanishing giraffes, vanishing lions, mm. vanishing cheetahs, vanishing mm. everything. That's, mm. that's terrifying. And that's the nature crisis, in a sense. That, that nature can't manage to survive in the long term, in that sense we're doing now. So we have to stop. And that's even, I feel that's even more important than the climate, than the climate problem. Uh, because if we don't stop the, the extinction of animals and nature types, that's very important. The animals can't survive just as animals. They need their habitats to live. And when they don't have that, they will disappear and we will lose from it. Uh, yes. Uh, definitely. So how, how, how can we stop it though? You know, you said you see the business of leaders now, mm -hmm. you know, are kind of uh, listening to these issues and are changing their business plan, moving away from carbon monoxide and what have you. But how, how you know, it, I think it seems such a huge problem, you know, like how do you, and, and, and it's a global problem. It's not like in a, some small area, it's like a whole Africa, a whole Southeast Asia, you know, whole uh, China. I mean, how do you change that? If I had a precise answer to that, I should have had the Nobel Prize. But, <laughs> but I think the most important thing is that we have to change the way we are thinking. I mean, uh, we have to think about our, how we use things, how long we use things, how, how, how often is it necessary to get a new mobile phone? How many t-shirts do I actually need to have? And how many travels do I have to go each year? It, I mean, the corona, pandemic has shown us that we don't need to fly all around to meet, as I do now. Uh, I mean, in a normal year, I suppose I maybe I would have been sitting together with you on a, on a stage. Uh, but this is also a possibility. And I think we have to think very differently of how we use things. And we have to definitely, as I said earlier, think very carefully about how we treat and how we look at nature. I mean, when we have to expand our cities 
we have to expand them in the height. We have to take down uh, buildings who are too small and put up higher buildings. And not always think that we can take a new part of nature all the time, because we have been doing that for hundreds of years and extremely since the last 50, 60 years. And that can't continue. We have to change the thinking. And maybe it's too late for grown-ups, but it's important that the people who are coming after us, that they have the right attitude, because we don't. I, I, I will come to that later. You know, when you're talking about these programs, about, you know, what needs to change, uh, Norway is quite no, known and seen uh, as uh, green, as very active with uh, regards to environment and biodiversity. Tell me something about the, how Norway is dealing with with uh, pro environmental protection or, uh, you know, I, I, you know the, the approach to the climate crisis. Tell us a little yeah. bit about... <clears throat> of course, we have, we have quite strict laws. Uh, definitely on 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 uh, pollution and old to say environmental uh, questions uh, on on the climate issue. I mean, we have a lot of uh, renewable water power in Norway, so it has been difficult for Norway to cut uh, the CO two emissions. Uh, we don't have any cold uh, cold plant or anything we can close. Uh, but now, after twenty years of trying, the, the emissions are going a little bit down. But Norway. I think the, your impression is mainly based that Norway always has been a driver internationally to get strong agreements, always try to find solutions and compromises and, being, and therefore had a high profile on that. But also we have good and we have a big national parks in the mountains, but we are we're definitely not perfect. And, and um, there's hard debates in Norway going on, on for instance, on, on nature reserves, on, on forests. Uh, we are lacking far behind Sweden, for instance. And, um, and of course, the oil. I mean, Norway is an oil producing country. And, uh, and it's a really tough my, debate going on. That was my follow-up question, because I also read the opinions, you know, or some ideas that, you know, you know it's kind of hypocritical of Norway to kind of represent itself as a, some sort of, uh, uh, leader of in green technologies or green green approach uh, while it's producing oil and mm. and selling oil you know to the rest of Europe and the rest of world. Mm. So how do you kind of put these two together? And that's not easy. <laughs> it's 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 a fact that the Norwegian oil is produced. I mean the production of the oil has low emissions compared, for instance, with the Arab countries. But that's only the production for when you take the oil and you burn it even in a car or wherever you will have the same emissions so this is a hard debate in norway all the time it's harder now than it has ever been uh, should norway set a put a date to when should we stop uh, drilling oil uh, some uh, political parties said yes mostly most of them said no uh, I mean, this is <laughs> the big paradox in the Norwegian environmental debate and politics, uh, because actually it's not easy. I mean, if you if you take the emissions from the Norwegian oil and uh, who's burned in other countries, of course, but divide that on, on the number of Norwegians, uh, the emissions are extremely high. And I think it's only Kuwait that has 
higher emissions per capita than Norway. So, but of course the international system isn't rigged that way. So we only have a responsibility for the oil we burn ourselves as, uh, as you have in, in Czechia. But, but again, we have to think differently. Uh, and what's happening very tough in Norway these days is actually a good picture of that because uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of plans on building wind turbines on mountains and forests. And then you get a very clash between, what shall I say, the climate perspective and the nature perspective. And, and uh, so, and my mentalists are like that now. <laughs> Should we say yes to that? Yes. And send the electricity down to, for instance, to, to Britain or to Germany to help them cut CO2 emissions mm, in a climate sense. That's smart. But at the same time, it's quite uh, destroying for the nature where, the, where you build these uh, turbines. But you know, tell me. I mean, does does Norway has a does Norway has a, have a plan B? Because you know, it's not only that Norway is using the oil, but it's importing it. And I mean, uh, oil industry is a m major part of, of of the whole Norwegian economy. And hmm. what goes the direction we all wanted to go? You know, to lower the consumption, of, or of course, to lower mostly to lower the consumption of black coal. Uh, Norway, Norway have to restructure its economy in the future. You know, are they? Is there any plan B, or are they? Are, are, do, are, is, are, are the leaders of your country thinking about ahead? You know that it, it, sooner or later it will come. You know, yeah, definitely, and and that's what the debate is going on. What should we do when the oil is over? Uh, of course, we do a lot of other things, uh, fisheries, and and a lot of things, but uh, it's definitely a, as I said, a hard political discussion going on, but. Norway is lucky. The country has built up a huge fund of money from the from all these years. So I think economically it will be <laughs> quite safe. But of course, a lot of political parties want it to be even bigger before they end. So the question in Norway now is: Shall we ourselves put a date or a year to say that we stop by then, or shall we just wait until the world don't want our oil anymore? So so yeah, it's tough. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go back to your work. Tell me, you know, you, we, we, we mentioned, we discussed your work as a journalist, but I, I know also, and I would like to talk to, about it a little bit, a little bit. you become also um, a writer or you, you've been publishing books which are focused on a younger generation. Can you tell us a little bit about this part of your work? You know, what your books are about and uh, how, this, how did you become, you know, that the transition from or you know that split from a journalist to be also a writer <laughs> and writing and why? Yeah, I, I've been writing some books all, all over the years for, for grown-ups uh, about climate, about nature, and so on. But uh, during the Paris meeting, actually, I traveled down there together with a with a Norwegian cartoonist uh, who, who who illustrated my articles with uh, funny, interesting, and at the same time very important drawings. And uh, interested, the paper was so big that they even used it uh, fully on the first page the last day. And, and when I came home, Aftenposten has a weekly magazine for children called Aftenposten Junior, who, who has about, uh, how much is it? 40, 45,000 uh, every week. That's big. Yeah, in a small country, it's very big. And, and yeah, it's huge. I mean, I know, I know the, I know the public, I know the, uh, publications in the Czech Republic, you know, like a big newspapers. Some some of them, our papers don't have this sort of 
<laughs> okay. But but anyway, the re uh, editor asked me, could you try to make something for children? And uh, we can try a couple of things, a couple of pages um, the next weeks. That was early in 2016. And Jenny Odal, who's, uh, who's drawing, and I said, yes, let's try. And we made two cartoons, one page cartoons about, I don't remember the first thing, but but it was uh, some environmental problem stuff. Uh, maybe one of them was about climate. Um, and it was such a success that, <laughs> and the readers wanted more because we make it as cartoons where, where we are uh, actually in the cartoons and explaining and asking questions to each other. And sometimes we have a guest uh, scientist coming in. Uh, and since then we have done that every week. Um, and I'm still doing it. Yesterday I, I wrote about, <laughs> I made a story for instance, it was for next week about plants and how, why do some plants survive winter and other don't and, and all those things. And we have made books, as you said, and I know green stuff has just come out in your country. Green stuff is the English translation and uh, or grønne greier as it's called in Norwegian. And um, yeah, and we have. Uh, uh, so, so help me, tell me. You know, uh, uh, so so you are addressing this. Uh, this uh, is it? Are you selling? Uh, yes, as you said, the book Green Stuff was just published in the Czech Republic, uh, but you are publishing in other countries. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, some other countries. Uh, we have tried it: Spain, uh, South Korea. Uh, it's come. Yeah. yeah. You know the thing is, you know where I'm heading is uh, like these are these are these are countries which kind of understand the issue. You know, like is there any way to reach the children or the youth in countries which are so-called developing countries, which uh, you know, as Europe was 50, 70 years ago, now are big problem, big part of the problem. You know, such as China. Indo well, China is not a developing country anymore, but such as Indonesia, India, mm. and uh, you know Bangladesh. You know, some some of these countries. You know. Is there any op any opportunity? I mean, is it po any possibility for you to reach out to to to, to, to any plants or any? I, I think uh, green yes. stuff has, has come with you now. That's quite European. I mean, in in the in the items we are most of most of the items we are we are writing about or drawing about. But I think the same thing is because here in this country now, okay, you have a problem, especially with boys in age from eight to 11, 12, they don't read very much. How do you change that? And it, it has come several books the last years as cartoon books about serious, serious um, items like environment as we make uh, and about nature, but also about other things. And I think that's, and, and what shall I say, a very, a very good way to reach into young people from eight to 12 to 13 to 14 to make them read and make them understand. Because to write, for instance, about climate change is, is uh, to, to, to educate children about that, that's quite difficult. Uh, but when you do it in a cartoon, um, I think it's easier to reach in. First of all, it's interesting to read because you have pictures all the time and the dialogue is, is between two normal people, even if I look like I'm I'm 15 in the cartoon, so I'm still uh, as I am. And I think people get the mess, the children get the message easier. And 
my main thing is to try to help them to, as I said earlier about myself, to make them to, to, to love their nature, because you, you won't want to take care of something that you don't love. And you can't teach a person on, at 40 to love the nature, but you can teach a 12 year old or an eight year old to love the nature if he's taken out in the nature or if he or she reads interesting things about the nature. For instance, how does it look inside? Uh, or oh, what's that called in English? You know, the big thing where ants live. How, how does it look inside there? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly. Ants yeah. house, I guess. Yeah. For instance, to show them inside that 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 the ants have special rooms for babies, special rooms for food, special graveyard, and so on. And then people, the young people get interested and they want to learn more and more and more. And when they grow up, that's what, what I wanted to say earlier, when they get grown ups, they have a love for nature inside them and they want to protect it. You know, I think Norway is a very specific country because it has absolute beautiful, you know, nature and a very, very good spectacular uh, nature. But uh, do you think, you know, like when you were a kid, uh, when you were 12 years old, 11 years old, you didn't have an iPhone, you didn't have a, you were not distracted by other things. Do you think that the children uh, today, you know, of the, of, of, of the second decade or third decade of the 21st century do access nature enough? They, 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 or, is it, or, they, or are they distracted by, by what I just mentioned, you know, iPhones and TikTok and different applications? Of course they are. Of course they are distracted by that. But then as a parent, we have to kick them out and get them out. And okay, take your iPhone with you and install a program where you, when you see an insect, take a picture and have an app where you can identify the name. I mean, you can use modern technology to make it interesting. I think that's possible. I'm trying to do it, do it with my own kids. And, and um, because knowledge is the key part here <laughs> in the, all of what we've been talking about. If you have knowledge, then you know how to do the right thing and you know how to take the right decisions and um, that's the only way to and, and this is where your books this is where your books step in you know that's 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 partially uh, one of the one of the solutions yeah we, uh, we try anyway we may um, a small tiny part we we have green stuff as you have we have made a one about only about climate change what what is it about climate change is the title and last autumn we made one who's called wild stuff was only about nature, not about climate or, or pollution, but only about uh, <laughs> about funny, special things in the nature. And I think, I hope that's one of the ways to go. But tell me, do you have a, you know, like we discussed, you know, that today's kids are more, you know, interested in TikTok, you know, than going uh, into the forest, you know, at least, you know, I hear complaints, you know, from educators, I hear complaints from parents, you know, all the, from around the world, from it, it's, it's this, you know, you name it, Switzerland, United States, every, everywhere is the same. But I, do you have a faith in the young people? Because, you know, we, we see this trend, you know, in very young children, you know, we are talking about like 10, 11, 12 years old, but then you have uh, uh, people like Greta Thunberg, you know, who you have uh, children, you know, or young people, he, she's not a child anymore, but, uh, you know, and you have, you, she created this huge movement, uh, mm. you know, this big protest which were taking place all over the world. 
so I think that the young people kind of they they are more alert than we were, you know, when, when it comes to much more that age. Much more, and they are much more alert than we are now, most of us in my generation. And I definitely faith in them, and I think that. Uh, they're and, and what do you and how, what do you think? How big of a role this kind of a teenagers can play in putting more pressure on the on the on the business leaders, on governments, and how important is that? Because there are some, you know, a lot of, you know, Donald Trump, a former leader of United States, picked up on on Greta in her in his uh, uh, insane tweets. Um, but so. How do, you, do they have enough credibility, you think, among, among, among normal world leaders uh, to, to kind of, that they will be successful in forcing some change? Yeah, I hope so, and I think so. I think politicians are listening to young people more now than they did before, and they should, because in a few years, those young people will be, will be voters. Uh, as, at, at the same, uh, I, I remember Kofi Annan in Nairobi once, uh, I was listening to him in a, in a, at a conference and he said, the most important thing I have to say to the world population, you use your vote. That's the most important thing you can do to save the climate or to save the nature. Use your vote. And the next thing, as I, we spoke about earlier, use your money on the right things. If you use your money on companies or products who are sustainable and ecological friendly, that will make a change. So, I mean, we are 7.5 billion people in the world, I think. And all of those 7.5 billion people are little me. All of them. You are one, I'm one, everyone. So if all those people just do a little thing, we are there. We are, it's fixed. Mm -hmm. It's not more difficult. We can't rely on politicians and business leaders to do this job. <laughs> we have to do it ourselves. Uh, and we have to do it through pushing the polit politicians and leaders, and business leaders, but we can also do things with ourselves and our own life. And that's what children are asking me when I meet them, when I hold small sp speeches in classes and so on. What can I do? What can I do? And then I tell them. But what do you tell them? The, uh, but we can't at the same time give the children the responsibility because the responsibility per, per now is, is ours. You know, I want to go back to this Greta generation, this movement, you know, why do you think they are so alert? Why do you think they became so assertive about this issue and so, uh, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but so active? That's because they see what's happening. I mean, uh, uh, a climate change happening in 30 years from now, that won't affect me. Then I will be 90 if I live. But for them, then they will be 50. Uh, and that's in the middle of their life. And they don't want that planet who is uh, escalating on climate change. They want another, and they understood that, okay, how, how do I change something? Okay, you can use your vote, as I said, you can use your money, but you can also use your voice. And with a new world of social media, uh, it is possible to change something and get your voice out there and say, hello, I don't want this anymore. Do it a different way. And, and when enough people are doing that, uh, change will happen, and that's what's happening now. Um, you know, uh, uh, on this on this program here and on, on, on this online debate of melting pot, I talk to various you know environmentalists and and uh, conservationists, and they all, all focus on different parts of you know 
this big big issue you you cover the whole specter of, mm. of this i have to ask you after what you've seen you know and you cover also the political part of it and whatever are you optimist i mean do you believe that world will uh, will uh, come together somehow and and save itself or uh, you know because there are so many issues to address you know but when you see there's a whole picture you know are you an optimist or and what and, and what or or not and why i am an optimist in that sense that if i wasn't i should have just stopped writing i am an optimist actually but uh, it's too late to avoid climate change but we can we can break climate change or what should i say in english what do you call it in english we can we can stop some of it but it's too late to stop it altogether it's already there uh, and Plus, it's, I, you know I, I, I've, it's kind of a just a related question that that's i wanted and i'm happy you brought it up because even if we kind of slow it down or stop it to for the earth to heal you know to 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 kind of recover from the damage that's already done will take mm. centuries no yeah that will take hundreds hundreds of years but but the longer we proceed the worse it will be <laughs> so everything we do will will slow that will slow it down and that's the important thing we have to slow it down but we can't avoid it because it's already here but we can't slow it down but something is too late uh, some nature is destroyed forever and some species will disappear because what we have already done and some glaciers most glaciers will melt whatever we do but it is possible and I, I am an optimist because I believe in people I believe that people want to survive on this earth and then I'm quite sure that we will uh, change uh, change the way we do things but we don't have time to wait until you said Greta Thunberg, that her generation takes over. We don't have time, so we have to do quite a lot before that. Uh, I've got one more question, you know, like, against from your travel and everything and political covering, you know, how do you persuade the countries, you know, like China or India, who quite righteously are telling us, listen, what you look at yourself, what you did, you know, 60, 70 years ago, you know, in during, and even before that, you know, mm. now we are in that stage, you know, mm. Uh, how do you convince them or should we somehow help him you know what is the what you know because as a, as a, as a, as a, because i think that europe uh, is even more advanced in 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 environmental protection than the united states in a sense you know and more alert on yes. that uh, sh uh, do we owe you know because you know a lot of these countries you know which are talking about they were for their former colonies in africa indonesia you know belong to, to holland and everything do we owe them uh, help now for for to to change to help with, with this with these issues because they are quite i'm sorry one more thing they, from you know my what i've learned you know these are also the most these are the biggest culprits at the moment you know they, yes they are and, and definitely we have to help them as much as we can and that's help to ourselves uh, and and there is some help going on but it's far too little at this stage, I don't think we have to help China any, at all. They have the money and they know exactly what to do, uh, but they are delaying because they, and so on. But we have to convince both China, India, and all the other countries that if you do it the same way as we did it, the whole world is is lost. Then, then, we, then we lose the whole battle. So you can't do it the same way. We have to do it another way. And then we have to help them, and especially the developing countries in Africa and Asia who don't have the resources themselves. 
but a country like China should do this by themselves. And 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 I think international pressure, international cooperation is of course important. And I hope that one day that also that also um, Chinese Chinese young people can say stop. We have to also we have to do this a totally different way. But China is doing quite a lot at home, much more than, for instance, the United States state have done. But now with a new president in the states, things are, I hope, going to be much better there as well. I don't know if you noticed, John. Uh, I mean, President Biden just just stopped the drilling, you know, and development mm. in mm. in wild wildlife areas in in Alaska. Yeah. You, very last thing, you know, do you think we can? The world will succeed in convincing, and and you know, because I really think, you know, like if Europe, Europe or North America can do whatever they want. If the problem is not stopped in Africa, Southeast Asia, East Asia, well, I'm not speaking about Japan and Korea, but, uh, and maybe parts of Latin America, this is no, this, we, we, we are doomed. Are you optimistic also in this that we can convince these countries? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to say, to judge or to say that I think, but I hope, I have to say, I hope. Um, and I mean, so many people in South America and Asia and Africa are so concerned about this because they know that they will be hit much harder than people in Europe and the States. The climate change will hit them much harder. And um, they are waking up as well. But as you said earlier, we have to help them. Uh, otherwise, it's it's not possible to, to do this job. But it is possible to to slow climate change. Well, I think, much, I think that, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. No, 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 it was my, you know, you got frozen a little bit. Listen, thank okay. you very much. I, I, I hope uh, so too. I, and I hope that our governments uh, will not just rely on hope, that they will do something. <laughs> they will do something about it. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much for this important event. And uh, <laughs> again, thank you very much for joining the, 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 the program. Thank you very much. It was thank a pleasure speaking now. to you, Thomas. We'll thank speak you. again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.